Almighty. Praise God. I love a sound system. Put one in your house, you'll never have to yell at anybody again. <laughs> Turn the reverb up. Uh, <clears throat> talking on one thing this morning. It's short and it's tight. Uh, every year we start the year the same way with my family. We got six kids, all married off, and you know, got grandkids. We're dropping grandkids now. Most important thing in life is having a vision for your life. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing here? Most people don't know. Uh, I've had people come to my office for counseling. Now, I don't do it anymore. I don't do counseling. Uh, uh, number one, they changed the law in my state. You have to be a licensed counselor. Uh, I'm a licensed minister, but not a counselor. So I can send you to one. So I'm allowed to talk to you for 30 minutes. I can talk to anybody for 30 minutes. Are you a counselor? No, I'm not. But I can help you. I'll get you in the Word of God. But if I can't help you, I've got a licensed counselor that hopefully they can help you. So it's a process. The biggest thing I see is that people have, they, they don't have any kind of idea what they're doing here. Well, I was in an accident. I said, nobody's in an accident. I don't care if they found you on the doorstep of an orphanage. God saw you coming before your mother ever met your father. You did not shock God when you popped out. No angel went in and Father, we got a problem. This kid we were not expecting. <laughs> well, just tell them, to, tell them to hang on for about 60 years and we'll come get him. No, no, you, you're here by divine appointment. God saw you coming. All the days of your life were written in a book in heaven before your mother ever met your father. Our job is to seek God and find out what that is. God orders steps, directs paths, guides into all truth, talks to him when you go to sleep, when you get up. God's moving all the time, but are we listening? And so you've got two ears and one mouth. You need to listen more than you talk. And so I'd mess with my kids every year. I said, listen, I'll just write down in two sentences on one piece of paper. It's the new year. We do the same thing right before New Year's Eve. We get together, write down God's vision. Where are you going to be a year from now? Two sentences, write it down. What? Where are you going to be this time next year? Well, I, I don't know. Well, what grade are you in? Fourth grade? Well, you're probably in the fifth grade next year. Write that down. I'm going to be the fifth grade, you know. And I just get carnal with them. You got, make, you got to make people start listening to God. Well, I don't hear God. Well, he's talking all the time. He says he's talking all the time. What's he saying? Well, I don't know. Maybe you need to get quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. You know, we don't like to get still today. We've got to have noise and lights and things. You know, I remember uh, my kids would get nervous tonight because I, like I like to sleep in the dark. I don't want a bathroom light on. I don't want a night light on. If it's time to go to sleep, sleep. God designed the human to sleep a third of their life. You sleep better when it's dark. What are you going to do? Turn the lights off. What is it? I don't know. I'm going to sleep. What's going to happen? Sun come up, I get up. Well, we had the kids that got to where they couldn't do that. Because uh, my kids went off to college, and they come back and visit maybe sometime for a week or two. And, and noise is going all the time. I say, hey, shut something off now. What are you doing? Well, I just, you know, watching the computer and listening to the radio and watching them. I say, shut this stuff off. You can't get good sleep. That's why people fall asleep at the wheel all the time. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Be still. Go to sleep. So I got to realize that in business and stuff, this became a real big thing. Now, this is from my hotel. I like this. It's free. You can get it. It's called Visit Raleigh. And it says on this Visit Raleigh, picture yourself. I like that. I said, that's good. I'm preaching on that this morning. Picture yourself. What do you see yourself doing? Well, most people can't see anything. I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to get by. I hope I don't get laid off. I hope I don't catch that new disease that's going around all the planets. God, they're all dying, you know. And everybody's, they're saying the wrong thing. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak Sam strong. Let the poor Sam call those things that be not as though they are. We've been born again in spirit filled. We're not from this planet. We're from another place. Now, we're just passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. But I'm here for this period of time to be a blessing to everybody in me. I'm the salt. I'm the light. I've got armor. I've got a shield. I've got a helmet. I've got a sword. I'm in a war. I'm behind enemy lines. I'm special forces. Well, you know, I'm behind enemy lines. What are you doing? 
trying to set the captives free. Trying to find some person that's been taken captive, set them free. Lay hands on the sick. You know, speak life to people that are dead. What are you doing? I'm behind enemy lines. I'm trying to set as many people free as I can. Now, when we get to heaven, there are rewards in heaven based on what we did here. Now, heaven has no time. I used to frustrate my dad. I said, Dad, how old is God? He said, what? How old is God? He's not old, son. He just is. Well, how long has he been here? He's been here forever. Well, he had to start somewhere. No, he never started. He's just been here forever. I couldn't get my head wrapped around that. I said, well, got, no, there's got to be something. No, there's no time in heaven. So, and I got the picture because uh, my dad had a big family, so uh, we had all the funerals at my grandmother's house because we had an embalmer in town, but we did not have a place, you know, for the funeral. So, if you died, if you died, they brought you to the house. And so, we had sitting up with the dead. You ever heard of that? They do it in the South a lot. So, we do well, you know, Grandma and Bessie died, and they're down there embalming her right now, and then they're going to bring her to the house tonight, and we'll have to move the couch, they'll slide in the front door, lift the lid up of the casket. We're going to sit up with the dead. We're going to sit up all night. We're going to eat some fried chicken, baked beans, potato salad, you know, chocolate cake. And we're going to talk nice about them for about, to about midnight. Then we're going to run out of nice things to say, and talk about midnight, we'll say some bad stuff about them. Man, they were a doofus, north end of a southbound mule. We never did like them. And then you repent when the sun comes. Well, I'm, I should have said something nice about them. Then you repent. By the time you buried them the next day, you've grieved. You need to greet? Nope, I'm tired. Let's stick them in the ground. <laughs> it's time to stick them in the ground. And so we had a real good grieving process. And so I got to thinking, I remember I was seven years old, and, and uh, my aunt Ella had died, and, uh, you know, we're at the house, had to drive up there to the old country place, and brought the casket in. So my parents always have you go, well, go over and tell your aunt bye. I thought they're dead. <laughs> go tell them bye. And so I couldn't be a priest in no testament. I've touched too many dead people. So I'd have to go over and touch them. So you know you're seven. I'm just peeking over the top of the casket. And I saw my Aunt Ellen. She's laying in the casket. She looked like a $2 streetwalker. I mean, she never wore makeup when she was alive. They got her painted up like some kind of doofus. I said, that's not my aunt. What did they do to her? And then, then my parents went, tell her bye. And you got to touch her like you pet a dog. Okay, bye, Aunt Ellen. When I touched her, she's like, my God, she's hard as a rock. And they, they froze her or something. She, that's not normal. She's hard. What did they do to her? And so... And it took a while to figure that out. So I got, I got a revelation that day. This is my third funeral. I'm seven years old. I'm looking at her and I thought, you know something? One day, if Jesus tarries, that's going to be you in that box. I thought, what? Yep. You're not going to live forever. Not live a long time, but not forever. Eventually, if Jesus doesn't come back to get you, you're going to be in that box. And once you're through, you're through. You don't get to run through life twice. This is a one-trip affair. It's a one-way ticket. And I got to thinking, I had a revelation thinking, you know, I might want to get busy living. Because every day that goes by is another day I don't have. So I thought, I need to get busy doing something. Well, then I thought, well, what? I thought, well, what am I good at? You know, and I don't know what I'm good at. I'm good at anything. My parents have told me since this morning, man, you stink at that. You're a doofus. You can't do anything right. What's wrong with you? And so hell shows up early through your parents. And I was told many times, you're not going to mount to hill of beans. You're not going to mount to hill of beans. And when I was an engineer, I worked in Sykes, Missouri, and they had a soybean plant. And you can smell it miles away. And we drove to the soybean plant one day. We were having a little tour. We walked in and I saw a hill of beans. <laughs> Three stories high. That's what my daddy was talking about. <laughs> I finally saw a hill of beans. That's it. Have mercy. And so, Bible says, life and death in the power of tongues. Somebody's got to start speaking vision early. Well, God did this. So, I've never taught this anywhere. This is, this is my paper right here. This is the whole sermon right here. And so, this is going to be new. So I was, I'm going to read it slow so I make sure I don't mess up anything. Proverbs 29, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, you're going to perish. What does that mean? 
You know why you're here? No, then you're probably not going to go anywhere. You're just trying to get by. You hope you don't get fired. You hope you don't die early. You hope you don't get Ebola. You don't, you're, just, you're playing defense. I don't play defense. I only play offense. I'm a child of God. The angels play defense for me. The angels of God kept about. There are so many angels you can't count. I only play offense. What are you doing? I play offense. I got the ball and I'm keeping it. I don't play defense. That's the angel's job. Psalm 91, you can read it every day. You know, what is it? The angels got camp out about me everywhere I go. Keep me from the evils in the world. I'm covered. That doesn't mean your day's going to go like Rosie every day. You know, God took the children of Israel to the promised land, promised them for 400 years. You know, if you'll quit sinning, I'm going to give you houses you don't build and you're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. There'll be grapes inside your head. I'm going to bless you. And so they come out and been slaves for 400 years. They're going to the promised land. Problem is, they're not too sure about it. So God says, before I give you the promised land, why don't you come by Mount Sinai and we'll visit. Well, they go there and they said, no, God scares us. He's scary. So only 70 of the 2 million people, 70 elders went to the foot of the mountain. Joshua goes halfway up the mountain. Only Moses went to the top of the mountain. The closer you get to God, the more elbow room you're going to have because most people won't go. They got a reason why they can't go and I won't go and I'm too old and I'm too tired and I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm too dumb. Shut your face up. You are the redeemed of the Lord. The Bible says, let the redeemed Lord say so. Call those things to be not as though they are. You've got to start saying what God says. Vision is supposed to start early. Well, then you get the New Testament. Multitudes are following Jesus. Free food and free health care. Um, can you imagine? Hey, Jesus will be at Walmart tomorrow. Free food, free health care. Bring all your sick people down. Free hot dogs all day long. You won't be able to park in the parking lot. That's why there's 30,000 people on the hillside. There's free food, free health care. Everybody showed up. They're not religious. They're looking for some free food and get their crazy aunt and uncle cured of some nasty disease. And so Jesus would come aside in the afternoon and only 12 would go on to the, off, to, off to him on the side. So what are you doing? Well, I got my 12. Where's the rest? Well, they went home. No more free food, no more free health care. And so the 12 would start talking to Jesus. Well, Jesus, when it, you know, everybody's getting tired now, getting ready to go to sleep. Jesus would get up after it's been a long day. He'd walk off into the dark. Where's he going? Going to pray. Only three would go with him. Same three every time. Same three every time. And then the Last Supper, Jesus, there only one laid his head on Jesus' chest. The closer you get to God, Old and New Testament, the more elbow room you're going to have. So we're not supposed to follow a crowd. We're supposed to take the lead. We're supposed to be leading, not following. Who are you following? God came as the son of the earth. You know, it's like, so what are you going to do? I got to get myself in gear. So this is a great scripture on vision. Everybody quotes this. Even secular people quote this. This is Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3. He says this, listen, uh, write the vision and make it plain. What vision? The one I'm going to give you. God gives vision. Write the vision make Why? It's going to tarry. Why? It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen this year. But it's going to happen. But I need you to write it down, God said. Why? Why do I need to write it down? Because it's going to tarry. And you'll think, I think, I think God called me to do this. I've met more people in my life. What are you going to do in life? I believe God's called me to do this. I, I meet pastors every weekend. I believe God's called me to do this. People I've known and went to school with just had a big... 50-year high school reunion, and I met some of my buddies. When you were in high school, you do one day I'm going to do this. What happened? Well, it wasn't God. Well, it wasn't God. That's because there's opposition to vision. The Bible says when the word comes, the devil comes immediately. When the word from God comes, the devil comes immediately. What are you trying to do? Steal the word. God said, I'm going to give you something to do. I took F's on all oral book reports in elementary school, in junior high, high school, and in college. I don't talk to anybody, and you can't make me. I was a I was a thumb-sucking doofus. You going to give a book for it? Mm-mm-mm. We'll give you an F. Go ahead. I've had them before. Won't bother me. <laughs> I signed up in college, the University of Tennessee. I signed up for oral composition. I don't know what that means. I went to hillbilly school. I didn't even know what oral was. I thought he was a 
you know, preacher in Tulsa somewhere. Oral composition. I got to class and I realized something you got to make speeches the whole semester. I thought, I'm making no speech. So I went up and talked to the first year professor. I said, We make speeches? Yes, son, it's called oral composition. I said, I don't make speeches. Well, if you don't make them, I'm going to give you an F. I said, Go ahead, I've had them before. He didn't give me an F, he gave me an incomplete. And it's worse than an F. And so, anyhow, long story short, after my one year with the University of Tennessee, they wrote me a letter, I still have it, that I'm never allowed to go back. Now, there's other legal reasons I don't go into, but I'm not allowed to go back. So, so I realized early in life, you only get paid for two things, for what you know and what you can do. And based on my paycheck, I didn't know anything, nor could I do anything. So I had to go back to school. So seven years in night school, I became an engineer and uh, loved my job, loved what I did. And uh, I loved even in the secular workplace. Uh, we had competition. And we got to try to get better at what we do. Uh, I worked for a great Spiritfield engineer, Spiritfield Methodist. Man, he's stretching. And so we're trying to make money. You know, we moved our company from New Jersey down to the middle of America, Missouri. Got a small town, about 12,000 people. Got a small plant. It's been closed since World War II. The building's been empty for 30 years. So we buy this old plant. It's been empty. And we move our big equipment. And we bolt it down this plant. Well, the concrete's cheap. And we had to re-epoxy everything. So we're trying to make money. And so we had two layoffs, two Christmases in a row. Now, if you want to get laid off, Christmas is just the best time. And if you want to get depressed, just go ahead. And so, third year's coming in, I said, man, we got to do something different. And so, we'd read in a wire, wire magazine that our competitor, Southwire in Atlanta, Georgia, could make this product we were making 4,000 feet a minute. I said, that's impossible. Because I'm a good engineer. We were good. We can make it 1,000 feet a minute. Make it a thousand. You can't make it fast enough because you have to pull it off a reel and you have to put brake on the reel because we're going to put the extruder, coat, coat it with the plastic stuff. And so, 1,000 feet is as fast as we can get it because you have to keep a little brake on. You can't let it run wild. But if you do faster than that, you've got to pull it faster, it reduces the diameter. Electricity does not drive, go through the wire, it goes on the wire. And so you've got to make sure it stays the same diameter or you'll burn the house down. And so they said they can do 4,000 feet a minute. That's a lie. Nobody can do that. He said, well, they've written twice in Wire Journal Magazine that they can. So I thought, well, my boss said, well, Joe, we're going to buy a plane ticket and we're going to go down there and ask them how they do it. I said, they're not going to tell us. Sure, they are. Heathens love to brag about themselves. We got a plane ticket, flew down to Atlanta, showed up with no invitation, knocked on the door, and lady Hitz, can I help you? We wouldn't like to see your engineer. We're from Sykes, Missouri, one of your competitors. Well, okay, wait a minute, I'll see if I can find them. This guy comes out and said, can I help you? My boss said, I'm Bill Clark, it's Joe McGee. We're one of your competitors in Sykes, Missouri. We'd like to take a tour of your plant. He says, why? Well, because you're making more money than we are, and you make this stuff better than we do. We'd like to see how you do it. Just straight up, just straight up honestly. He looked at us a minute. Reared his head back, bust out laughing, said four of the most elegant cuss words I've ever heard. Well, blankety, blank, blank, blank. Come on in. <laughs> he gave us a tour and he bought us lunch. Now, we're only looking for one product line. We didn't lie, but we didn't tell the truth. You'll get that about lunchtime. <laughs> so, we're walking through and we're looking for that one. We're somewhere in this big factory is that one, where they make that product 4,000 feet a minute. So, all of a sudden, we saw it. We saw what they were doing. We didn't even need a blueprint. That's how they do it. Well, that's how they do it. And so we went back and we hired us a mechanic and engineer. said, guys, can you design this thing? It was like a huge Playtex bra. I mean, it was giant. I mean, two big cones, eight foot in diameter. Instead of pulling the wire off a reel, we turned it sideways like a spool of thread. And, and we get 4,000 feet a minute and not reduce the diameter. And I thought, that's how they do it. So we did that. And by next Christmas, we didn't have a layoff. We were making it 4,100 feet a minute. Somewhere, somebody's doing better than you. In their marriage, and their money, and their health, and their kids, and their parents. Somewhere, somebody's doing better than you. 
They're not knocking on your door. You got to go knock on their door. Wisdom's not running backwards down, down the path. They're running up trying to find people wiser than them. If you want to be wise, you got to hang around wise people. You got to run with people running faster than you. Well, we don't like that. It makes us look stupid. I'm not, I was thinking at the time I was going through this, what do you, who do you like your friends? Well, I like my friends. We're all the same. We like the same food. We like trout fish. We like the bass fish. We like the same, you know, uh, hamburger, like the same stuff. They're just like me. What do you think that means? I'm not changing. I'm hanging around people just like me. They think like me. They do like me. Well, how are you going to get better? I got to start running around somebody better than me. I got to chase people running faster than me, thinking more than I think, reading more than I read. And I realize I got to change my life or I'm not going to get anywhere. So anyhow, that's where I'm going to lay this out. Now, do this very methodical. This is Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Um, Abraham, father of faith. Uh, you know, we got the father of faith, Abraham. I, I love Abraham. Uh, God shows up one day. Now, Abraham, he's 100. He's, just, he's an old codger. And he shows up and says, hey, Abraham, come out of your tent. Come out here. Old codger comes out. He said, look up there and see the stars. He said, okay. He said, how many are there? Can you count them? Okay, it's going to take a while. He said, your seed is going to be as many as the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea. He tells it. Now, this old man couldn't have babies when he could have babies. He's too old now. He doesn't work anymore. It's before Viagra and Cialis. He doesn't work. I'm just trying to be honest. And so the old man says, you're going to have so many kids, be like the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. And the lady says, okay. Just jumped right on. All righty. You know. Well, Sarah, his, his wife, she's not Sarah yet. She's Sarah, a contentious woman. She's in the tent eavesdropping. And she heard, she heard, and she bust out laughing. Now, she thought the angels couldn't hear. She bust out laughing. She said, shall I have pleasure seeing my Lord being old also? We couldn't have babies when we could have them. He's too old now. Well, the angel heard her. The angel said, what did you say? And she said, nothing. No, you lied. You heard. And said, you're going to have a baby. And sure enough, you know. Uh, now, there was, there's a little more to the story. That's why we have high oil prices today. Because, <laughs> you know, Abraham, I guess he just woke up three or four days later. He's like, Sarah, I'm back. And, uh, and they were hugging and kissing a lot for weeks. But all of a sudden, he realized I'm not the problem. You're the problem. I'm working. You're not working now. You can't get pregnant. Well, take my handmaiden and, and hang around and have, have a baby with her. Well, that wasn't the plan of God, but God had promised, I will bless Abraham's seed. I will bless Abraham's seed. That wasn't the plan. Let's see. So, you know, those two boys are born now. Sarah finally had, the, you know, Ishmael and Isaac, and they're fighting like dogs and cats. So God speaks to Abraham one night. Hey, get up. What? We got a problem. He said, what, do you, what is it? You got to kick that woman out of the house. What? Yeah, you got to kick that woman out of the house. I can't. Yeah, you got to. It's messing my plan up. Kick her out. I'll take care of her. So he kicks Hagar and, and the boy out of the house. Well, they're wandering through the desert. They run out of food. They're out of water. They're, out of, they're, they're dying out there. And, and so an angel shows up. Says, hey, get up. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to make your, your seed, your child, have, they'll be like the stars of heaven, sands of the sea. And so people say, where'd all the, where'd all the oil come from? Well, that's Abraham's seed. You do the family line all the way back. It's Abraham's seed. But it wasn't God's plan. Now we got the Jewish people. What is that? Abraham's seed. You know, nobody will mess with Israel. Did you know Israel's the size of Broad Island? They're in the news every day. Everybody hates them. Everybody hates the Jews. Stinking Jews, stinking Jews. Ah, 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 man, you need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You want to be blessed? Pray for that bunch. God bless them. God bless them. Go with God. And I took our third trip last year, and I love Jewish people. They're just meaner than snot. And, uh, you know, they're outnumbered 401. If you go up to Lebanon and add up the population of the nations that touch Israel all the way around Egypt, if you add the nations up, they're out, they outnumber Israel 400 to 1. 
400 to 1. It'd be like when I was a school principal, somebody comes to my office, hey, Mr. we have a problem here on the playground. You got to come out here. Okay, what is it? Now, I go walk out on the playground, and all of a sudden, here's 400 kids on this side crying, all slobbery-eyed and crying. And I got one kid on this side with thick glasses just standing there. And I kind of said, is there a problem here? And the 400 kids, yeah, he's picking on us. <laughs> I'm just going to go back in the office and let him settle it. That's what's going on. God is showing off to his people. And so God said, you're going to have so many kids, you won't be able to count them. And so he said, okay, now let's get this. Now starts building up, and I'll give you this one. 2 Kings 6.16. Elisha, he's running. Elisha's getting words from God. All of a sudden, he's, he's, he's getting a word. He goes to sleep. He, he gets a word. The Spirit of God is in the enemy's tent. He's in the enemy king's palace. And he hears him whisper. And he comes and tells Elisha. And Elisha tells his king, hey, they're planning this. They're going to do this. And the guy couldn't figure out, somebody's telling on me. Somebody's telling the Jews what we're doing. Somebody's telling what I'm thinking. I mean, we got a spy. There's a spy. And the guy said, no, no, they got a prophet over there. He knows what you think when you say it out loud. And so all of a sudden they figure, we got to go kill him. The problem is with him, we got to go kill him. So all of a sudden the enemy shows up one night. So Elisha's over in his tent and the servant gets up one morning to get some water or whatever. And he comes from back in the tent. Elisha, we got a problem. We got a problem. What is it? The enemy, man, they're everywhere. There's chariots and horses. And so he stepped outside the tent and sure enough, he's surrounded on all sides by the enemy. They found him. He said, what are we going to do? He said, don't worry, son. There are more with us than there are with them. He said, what? Oh, there's more with us now with them. And he said, uh-uh. He said, Lord, take blindness off his mind. Let him see. All of a sudden, the blindness was removed from the servant's eyes. And there were chariots of fire surrounding him on all sides, more than the enemy. And so the prophet prayed, and God struck him blind. He led the enemy one horse at a time, one chariot at a time, into Jerusalem. And when he got the door shut, he had the blindness come off, and they were surrounded by all the Jewish people. God has a wacky sense of humor. God loves to show off. Well, I'm not smart enough. I didn't finish school. I'm too fat. I'm too ugly. I'm too. Shut your mouth. You're a child of God. I'm going to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Everything I touch is going to prosper. Now, I tell us all the time I collected 1,206 biographies when I was a school administrator. People that were millionaires and billionaires in America, none of whom finished school. Now, I'm an educator. I believe in it. I said, listen, a degree won't get you a job, your character will get you a job. Your character will keep a job. And said, so God will bless you, but you've got to be trusting God, not humans. God will bless your socks off. So I'll give you this, and I like this one. This is Judges chapter 6. This is my favorite story. You know, you got Gideon. Gideon's, you know, everybody knows the story of Gideon. So Gideon, you know, in Judges 6. The family, they've been overrun. The, the enemy showed up. And first, they started mixing their cattle with the Jewish cattle, mixing their sheep with their sheep. All of a sudden, they knocked on the door and they asked the Jewish people, Get out of your house. We want your house. So all the Israelis are hiding in the mountains. What happened? Well, the enemy just ran them out. Well, Gideon's a young teenage boy. He's hiding up there, and he's in a hole in the ground. He's found just enough wheat. He's stomping them some wheat. He's in a deep hole. He's stomping them some wheat, trying to make enough flour to make a biscuit so he doesn't starve to death. He looks up every now and see if he may listen. Stop it. All of a sudden, an angel shows up and said, Hello, you mighty men of courage. And Gideon says, Shh. Man, you made a wrong turn coming out of heaven, big boy. There are no mighty men down here. The angel says again, well, hello, you mighty men of courage. Now, try, try, I imagine CNN being there. CNN's been around forever. So I imagine CNN showing up that day. Say, hey, son, got a camel crew and everything, got the film. What's going on here? And Gideon says, well, my name's Gideon. I'm the wimpiest member of my family. My family's the wimpiest of my tribe. 
My tribe's the wimpiest of the twelve. We've all wimped out. That's why I'm hiding this whole story death. Nut and white sheep keeps calling him out of men of courage. God sent an angel called getting what he was going to become, not what he was. God's a visionary. God said, lot be, and lot was. God said, you need to speak to the mountain. Well, you know, we quote it all the time out of my, you need to speak, tell it to be removed. If you believe in your heart that it'll be removed, not doubt, you'll have what you say. Jesus said that. What, what? You'll have what you say. Well, that's just crazy. That's a crazy religion. No, that's God. Call those things to be not as though they are. I'm telling you, we've all been tempted. Everybody's going to listen, have great years, bad years, lean years, fat years. And you always get, what is, man, it's just heart. It's heart. It's just heart. My daddy left my mama. My mama never left me. My teacher wouldn't pass me. My coach wouldn't play me. My wife left me. My dog bit me. How are you going to get? People want you to feel sorry for them. God didn't feel sorry for anybody. God moves from one thing and one thing only, faith. I used to think, man, if I can hurt bad enough, God will be moved. If I can just hurt bad enough, he'll help me. No, he won't. Only faith moves God. Only faith moves God. What's faith? You believe in your heart when he said it's true, and you say it with your mouth. It's the only offensive weapon we possess. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So I tell my kids, you're going to leave home, you better start saying what God says about you. So I give them a test every year. What are you good at? Because you're going to make money what you're good at, you know. Uh, my oldest daughter, uh, she was captain of the basketball team, but she couldn't keep the basketball with her from one end of the court to the other. She's a horrible athlete. Uh, but she's real smart, and so she's a college professor. She was smart enough she could make up for her lack of physical skills with her brain. My second daughter was an all-state basketball player, went to college on a basketball scholarship. Why? She was a three-point shooting champion in Oklahoma. Uh, she, her team won the state championship. Her gift got her scholarship. My older daughter's gift got her scholarship. My middle daughter, I don't think she had a gift. She's the only one of my six kids did not get a scholarship to college, I thought. So we're in college, getting her younger sister in. She's going on a full scholarship. And they told Corey, my third daughter, well, you get 25% off just being related to your younger sister. <laughs> I thought, well, you got to jump on it. We're all sitting there feeling kind of, hey, isn't that good? You get money just for being related. Praise God. <laughs> so that day we're touring the campus, and I told her, I said, honey, you have a gift. I just don't know what it is. It's been 18 years, and I can't figure it out. But God didn't lie. You got a gift to do something. I just don't know what it is. You got to find it, okay? Because you're not going anywhere until you find it. So she used to love to take pictures with her camera. I said, go volunteer to take pictures for the yearbook and the school paper, you know. Spent her own money, bought her own film. And so she did that for almost a year and a half. And, uh, and then the, the college professor's son was the editor-in-chief of the college paper and the yearbook. Well, he graduated. Well, they came to my daughter, my third daughter, who didn't have a scholarship. C student at best. She made a B. We bought cake and ice cream. C stood in the best, and they said, hey, Corey, you seem to be real good at this. You know everything. You've done everything, taking all the pictures. Would you like to be the editor-in-chief of the college paper? And she said, yes. I said, well, there's a full scholarship goes with it. Said, yes, thank you. And so she finished on a full scholarship. And so I tell stories like this, not to be joking, but we were sitting at Thanksgiving a few years ago, and Corey, uh, we got a publishing company called Stone Bluff Publishing. It's on the back. I, I have my own publishing company. Because Corey was a journalism major, because she ran her mouth all the time, so we've got to make money with that gift. Let's put you in journalism. Make some money with this thing. And so we're talking. And so it's Thanksgiving. Everybody's there, you know, kids and their spouses and their kids. So Corey and I are talking. And one of my daughters said, what are you talking about? I said, well, Corey and I, we own a publishing company. Do what? And it got quiet. You own what? Yeah, Corey and I, we own a publishing company. Stone Bluff Publishing. We own a publishing company. And my daughter, who's a college professor, she said, you get paid? Dear God, I hope so. I don't do this for free. Does she get paid? Yes. She owns half the company. 
Well, how come you didn't ask us? I said, what's your major in? English? I don't need an English major. What's your major in? Accounting? I got an accountant. What's your major in? Interior design? I don't need that. I didn't hire her because she's my daughter. I hired her because she's a journalism major. The Bible says your gift will make room for you, bring you poor kings and make you wealthy. Some people blossom at 18. Some people don't blossom until they're 40. But you're going to blossom because God doesn't lie. He tells the truth. Now, this is where it gets good. I'm about through. I like this. You know, you think about it. Let's just do this quick. Jesus had a vision for his life. Jesus knew where he came from. What do you know about Jesus? Well, he laid down his glory, took on the body of a man. I know where I came from. Uh, in Luke 2, it says, Jesus was 12. Mom and dad lost him for four days. And they found him in the temple. And here's what he said. He knew why he was here. I need to be about my father's business. He knew where he came from. He knew why he was here. And the Bible says, Jesus endured the cross for the joy sitting down in front of him. What are you doing? Going to the cross? Why? I want to be the king of all kings when I finish this thing. I'm about to buy back the whole planet. He had a vision. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. I know why I'm going. Most humans don't know that. I hope we don't get laid off. I hope they don't raise taxes. I hope gas prices stay the same. I hope that disease doesn't come to America. Shut your face up. You're a child of God. You're going to be the head, not the tail. Above and not beneath. God picked you to do war. That's why you have armor. Get your arm on, little boy and little girl. You get to do a war. Now, you've been promised victory, but you have to fight. And Christians, I never, I've had so many people in my family get born again. Spirit filled, call me up three months later. Brother Joe, you got a minute? Now, I'm just Joe most of the time when it's serious. Brother Joe, you got a minute? Sure. Well, I got spirit filled three months ago and all hell has descended on me. I said, well, welcome to the family. Because when work comes, the devil comes immediately. And you, you got resist. Your job is to resist the devil, not collapse. And so you need to learn how to fight. And so how do you do that? You need to say what God says about you. What are you saying? Well, we're never going to make it. I'll never get a raise. My girlfriend's never going to marry me. My boss ain't going to do nothing for me. My transmission's leaking now. They're probably going to kick me out of my apartment. We'll never get any better. I'm just going to go die an old person. Well, you're going to have everything you say. Let, let the redeemed Lord say so. God will give you everything you say. The children of Israel came out of Egypt, going to the promised land. God tested them 10 times. Didn't tempt, tested them 10 times. Led them to no water, bitter water, no food. And there's food falling out of heaven. Moses has to slap a rock, get the water out. He's trying to get them to use their faith. And so they finally get to the promised land. They send the 12 spies in. Two come back with a good report. Ten come back with an evil report. What's the promised land like? Just like God said. Big old houses we didn't build. Grapes the size of your head. Woo! It's just like God said. But there are giants in the land. There's giants in the land. Now, there weren't that many. There were a few. And we look like grasshoppers in their sight. Why do you know? Hey, what do I look like to you? You look like a grasshopper. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so, they came, so the people started to mourn. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, my. Oh, my. We should have died in Egypt. Oh, if we'd only died in the wilderness. Oh, dear Lord. If we'd, we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed a slave. God's listening. God got mad. He said, okay. In number 16, he told Moses, he said, tell them I'll give them what they say. It's real simple. You can read it in translation. I read the New Living. Tell them I will give them what they say. They're going to drop dead here in the wilderness. And for the next 40 years, they had to wander around to all those people, 40 until they died off. I'm not, I'll take your children in. I'm t- taking you in. Well, you know, they changed them out. Okay, well, we'll go. No, I'm not going with you. And they tried to go in, and 12,000 of them died. God said, if I'm not going, you, nothing's going to happen. But if I'm with you, all things are possible to him that believes. So, you know, the other bunch finally went in, and, you know, they wrote a whole Bible about it. It's really good. Uh, Revelation 2. Uh, 
I'll give you this in one more story. Revelation 2, God's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's bragging on them. The seven churches in Revelation, they got bragged on the most. Really pleased with you. Did really good. You overcome. And said, but I have this one thing against you. They said, what? I do have one thing against you. I thought you bragged on us. I did. You've been doing good, but I have one thing against you. What? You have left your first love. You can read it in any translation. What? I thought you liked it. I do. But you've left your first love. What? You've fallen out of love. You know, every marriage, you need to stay in love by doing what love does. Like you did when you were dating. You know, go the second mile, offer you a cup of coffee. Hey, can I give you a foot rub? Hey, can I help you out? Can I pick up something for you? You're supposed to serve what love's serving, not doing. Love's serving. So, you know, when you die, Hallmark's got the card all wrong. It's just, I'm so sorry I heard you got married. Because when you get married, you die. You promise, you say before God wins from this day forward, I'm living for you. It's my wife. I'm going to live for you. I don't care what I do, I'm living for you. Where do you want to go? Wherever you want to go. What do you want to eat? Whatever you're going to eat. Do anything, just whatever you're going to get. Am I not that way? Am I not? I, this is my second run, people. I learned a lot the first run. We know. I want to leave my wife happier than a hoop. When I get to heaven, I'll hear my wife say, Father, I want to thank you for Jesus and the Holy Ghost. That was something. And the second thing I want to thank you for is Joe. Whoo, what a blessing he was. Yeah, I want her sucking lips off my face. And you do that by serving. And so he said, you need to go back and remember from which you have fallen. You need to repent that you fell. You need to redo what you did at the beginning. How did you fall in love? How did you fall in love the first time? Well, you went the second mile. You dressed nice. You took a shower on a regular basis. You didn't have bad breath. You know, you served one another. Love serves. I had a guy in Kentucky a few years back, and uh, he was talking about them. He said, you know, he came up to the session. He said, you know, I fall in love with my wife about six or seven times a year. I said, what? Yeah, we fall in love about six or seven times a year. I realized Every year, we start to wane, busy, paying bills, fixing kids' crooked teeth, transmissions leaking, having to fix the water heater. Every night, I said, we're going on a date. And I, I don't care if we don't have money. Sometimes, we just went down to the local coffee shop got a cup of coffee. I can afford two cups of coffee. We're going to go on a date. We're just going to stare at each other and hold hands and play kissy face. You've got to start dating again. You've got to redo. Vision will wane. It'll wane. Whatever God's called you to do, you've got to chase it. Like I said, I, I, I'm doing, I'm doing, people, they, I was at my high school, thing. everybody giggled at me, I said, can you believe Joe, Joe Allen, he speaks to people and flies on airplanes. Airplanes terrified me when I was a kid, and I didn't talk to anybody. All I do, they fly on airplanes and talk to people, because God's got a wacky sense of humor. And so they're just amazed, we can't believe you do this. I do. Now, when I was a school administrator, uh, we had a Christian school, and we grew big. We went from 125 to 750 people. In about three years. Because I know marketing. I'm not an educator. I hate education. I do. And I've been in school almost all my life. Got my second degree. You like it? I don't like it, but I need to know it. But I'm in charge of these students. I need them to, I need them to like what they're doing. And so, so with this little Christian school, we were a class B school. Not 1A, not 2A, not 3A, not 4A, not 5A, not 6A. We're B, as in below B. And so we're a class B our basketball team, uh, when I first got on staff, got beat one night. A home game, we got beat 102 to 6 on our home court. On our home, I'm not making this up. You can't make this up. And we scored, I think, three or four of their baskets going in the wrong direction. So I said, Houston, we got a problem. So we changed everything. I mean, changed how we thought, how we did it and stuff. I created things that, you know, we created how people thought about themselves and the kids. So, uh, we changed, so we're getting ready to play. Homecoming's coming up. 
And so my board came to me, Joe, did you see we were playing for homecoming? No, we're just got, we got them scheduled to play us because, you know, we're not in the league. We're trying to beg people to play us to this. We're playing the five-time state champion for homecoming. What? Yeah, Rod Academy. They just won the state championship last year, and we're playing them for homecoming. I said, well, praise God. <laughs> and they begged me, these are grown men, businessmen. Well, you got to change it. you got to change it. I said, what? Yeah, you, we can't be playing them because, you know, all people, for homecoming, you play the sister school, the sisters of the four brethren. You want to make sure you win the homecoming game. So you ain't no hiring. We got to play somebody we can win. We won the homecoming. We played the four sisters of the brethren, but we won. So I had to speak with the team. I said, the guys, I don't know if you noticed, you know, we're playing Rod Academy for homecoming. Yes, we noticed that. Did you do that on purpose? No, we just tried to fill the schedule up. It just happened to be homecoming. We're playing Rod Academy. State champion. 3A. We're class B. I said, you know some guys, uh, their people are wanting me to change this game. Bless your heart. We want you to be able to win. And we had one Christian school in town that had four boys and a girl. They didn't have enough boys to make a team. And, and they played in sweatpants. So they're real religious. So they, you can't wear shorts when you play them. I called them. We scheduled them. I'll make good photo albums in the yearbook, wouldn't it? <laughs> we, can play, we can play the five-time state champion. And the worst thing can happen, the worst that will happen is, oh, what was that? Yeah, that was a homecoming. Got beat 300 to none. <laughs> but we played the five-time state champion, man. We, we faced, man, we faced the big one. I think, you know, if we play them 100 times, I bet you there's one out of 100. We could probably beat them. Everybody has an off nine. Everybody has an off weekend. Every team, I can't believe that lost. Well, everybody has one of those days. And maybe this will be our day. Who knows? But we're going to play them. We're going to pack the place out, decorate up. It's homecoming. Have a homecoming queen. And we're going to play the nasty boys. Well, the bottom line is we beat them by one point on the last shot of the game. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know. The stands were just we won. My God, we won. What do we do? And someone in the place, well, let's shave our head. No, that's not good. That's not good. The whole team shaved their heads. Somebody found some shaking. We stood in the middle of that court and shaved it. Blood was running. They cut. We won. Blood was We won. They looked at some freak show from a circus. But we won. I see that coach every now and then. He's, he's an Iowa now. And uh, I said, you know, you can't win if you don't fight. You can't win if you don't fight. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. God's got a divine plan for your life. He knew it before your mother met your father. He wrote it in the book in heaven. If you ask God, he'll show you. The Bible says you have not because you have not asked that you draw about me made full. God, what have you called me to do? It's not based on what I did or what I didn't do. What I it's based on God. I'm called to do this. I'm going to do it. I fly on airplanes and I speak to people. Nobody could have believed that when I was young. What do you do? I talk to people. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't know when to shut up. Because God is the difference maker. Where'd you get that? Got a vision for my life. God spoke to me. God spoke to me when I was very young. One day I'm going to take you all over the country. I didn't have any kids. Newly married. One day I'm going to take you all over the country and I'm going to use you to minister to families, especially the parents. I'm going to use you to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the children back to the fathers. Your own family's about to stand amazed what I'm going to do in your life. And I spoke that out of my mouth one night, 1975. Only been married for three years. And I remember after I spoke that out of my mouth, my wife was holding and I said, I just, I just said it. It was prophecy. I said it. I spoke it. Also, I got quiet, and I look at my wife and said, is that not the dumbest thing you ever heard in your life? Man, this prophecy stuff's stupid. Don't ever tell anybody we prayed this. 
I'm going to church on Sunday morning, Baptist church, second row, because I'm a front row Baptist person. Little saint comes down the aisle and says, Sonny? Yes, ma'am. God dealing with you about the ministry? No, ma'am, he's not. My wife pinched me. Stop that. Stop that. We moved to the back row the next Sunday because it's hot down front. We're on the next to the back row. Singing from my hymnal. All of a sudden, the elder guy punches me on the shoulder. I thought he dropped something. Sir, can I help you? Son, God dealing with you about the ministry? No, sir, he's not. My wife pinched me again. And so I ran from God for almost four years. But today I'm doing what God spoke out of my mouth 19, you know, years and years ago, 1974. I'm going to take you all over the country. I don't want to go. You're gone. I'm going to use you to minister to families. I don't want families. You're going to be a blessing. I don't want to. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, Jonah tried to run. Jonah, he didn't want to go preach those heathens. I'm going the other way. Get out there in that boat and the storm comes up and they're trying to figure, man, what's wrong? Man, somebody's got sin in their life. So just, it's me, throw me over. We're going to dump you. And they dumped him. And thank goodness the big fish swallowed him up. Now, what's funny about the big fish, and i got to close, the big fish took him back to his original point. He didn't spit him out at Nineveh. He still had to catch another boat to Nineveh. God said, no, nah, I'm not cheating. Put you right back where you started. Now you can get a boat to Nineveh. So he went to Nineveh and he, he preached a great sermon. Repent. I hope you all burn in hell. Repent. I don't care if you didn't even get saved. Repent. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they all repented and God stayed the judgment another 400 years. God's going to work through us if we'll just let him. It's not your IQ. It's not your G. We just need to show up.